0: We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's take our Bibles... Uh, this morning and go with me to the book of 1st Kings in the second chapter 1st Kings chapter number two we'll begin reading in verse number one and we have been in a study of the life of David that has led us from 1st Samuel 16 where we began and uh, we uh, finished 2nd Samuel this last Sunday and we're nearing the end. In fact, as we come to 1 Kings chapter 2, we are at the end of David's life. Now, uh, as was mentioned earlier, next Sunday we'll go to the book of 1 Chronicles and we'll see how that David, in the final years of his life, prepared abundantly for uh, the temple. Uh, the Bible tells us that David served his generation according to the will of God. And uh, as David fought valiantly and led the nation of Israel against her enemies, as he won many victories, and as David governed the people in justice and judgment, as the Bible tells us, uh, we find that perhaps the, the most significant service that David rendered to his people Uh, was in the area of their worship of the Lord. Uh, We know that David authored many psalms. He was called the, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And we're grateful that the book of Psalms is available to us. We're grateful for the comfort and the instruction that it brings in the midst of our difficulties and trials, the hope that it brings to us as uh, the psalms teach us to pray and the psalms teach us to praise and uh, we're, we're grateful for that lesson in that same uh, area of worship David also prepared abundantly for the construction of the temple a place where the people of God could come together to worship the Lord and uh, as we think about the opportunities that God has given to our church and the purchase of the property next door and the development of it, as we look forward to that in the future, uh, next Sunday we'll be going to the book of First Chronicles to, to, to review how that David prepared abundantly uh, for the construction of the temple. Uh, but before we get to that subject, we want to look into First Kings. Now we're not beginning a study of First Kings, but we're going to look at First Kings chapter number 2. And uh, we're going to look at the events surrounding the death of the king. We've been with David from the time he was a young shepherd boy. And he went down into the Valley of Elah and faced Goliath. What What a great victory that was. How he served Saul as a leader in the army. Then Saul turned against him. David had to run and spent many years on the run from Saul and uh, then eventually was uh, ordained to be the king, anointed as the king, and then uh, dealt with the rebellion of the northern tribes of Israel, and finally the kingdom was brought together, and David governed the entire nation. Uh, We saw also David's struggles. He had struggles in his family and struggles in his own life, and finally... He committed the dreadful sin of his adultery with Bathsheba the murder of her husband and then we saw further continuing demise of his family the rebellion of Absalom of course Amnon's crime against Tamar and uh, all of the dreadful things that befell David as a result of that now we come to the end of his life and David is concerned about the kingdom and what will happen beyond his days. And I hope that all of us who know the Lord are concerned about his kingdom and that we are investing our lives in it as David did. We come to chapter 2 then in verse number 1, and the word of God says this to us, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong therefore and show thyself a man and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and with thou turnest thyself. That the Lord may continue his word which he spoke concerning me saying if thy children take heed. To their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart with all their soul, there shall not fail thee," said he, "a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the hosts of Israel, unto Abner the son of Nur, and unto Amasa the son of Jether, whom he slew, and shed the blood of war and peace. And put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins and his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom and let not his whorehead go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite and let them be those that eat at thy table. For so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom thy brother. And behold, thou hast with thee Shimei, the son of Gera, of Benjamite, of Behurim, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now therefore, hold him not guiltless. For thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest do unto him but his whorehead bring thou down to the grave with blood. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and 30 and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. Then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. I want you to notice the phrase we find in verse number 10, so David slept with his fathers. It is an inevitable thing about life, an inevitable event in life that we all die. It is appointed, the Bible says, once to die, and after this, the judgment. And here we find what a great life David lived, but it was coming to a close. In recent chapters we've learned that David's strength was deteriorating. In fact, if you look in 1 Kings chapter 1, the Bible tells us that as we come to these events that David's health had declined greatly. Look in chapter 1 in verse 1. Now King David was old and stricken in years. And they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. Wherefore his servants said unto him, let there be sought for my lord the king a young virgin, and let her stand before the king and let her cherish him and let her lie in thy bosom that my lord the king may get heat. So they sought for a fair damsel throughout all the coasts of Israel and found Abishag a Shunammite and brought her to the king. And the damsel was very fair and cherished the king and ministered to him, but the king knew her not. In other words, the king did not have any intimate relation with her She was simply there to take care of him, to nurse him, and to help him get heat. He was old, and he was cold. He was declining. He was frail. In fact, he wasn't even aware of the dangers and the happenings that were befalling the kingdom. We'll look at that in just a moment. But David was at the very close of his life. In verse 10 of this passage, we see that David slept with his father's. So he died, as all of us will, unless we are here when the Lord comes. David finished his course. He came to the end of his leg of the race, and with the utmost care, David transferred the baton, or in this case, the scepter, from king to king. He transferred the baton into the hand of Solomon, who took it and ran with all his strength i want us to note in this passage as david the great king closes his eyes in death i want us to note what's on his heart and what is on his mind and i think we find that the same thing that was on his heart and on his mind in his life was the same thing that was on his heart and on his mind in his death It was the prosperity and the power of the king and his kingdom. He wanted the work of God and the glory of God to continue. He wanted the people of God to continue. And so David's concern, I believe we find, is threefold in this passage. I'll give them to you, and then we'll look at each one. But we see that David was concerned about the strength of the king. Solomon, his son, was young and tender. David, a great man of war. Solomon, we have no record of him leading in the battle. Perhaps he served in the military, but we have no record of it. So David is concerned about the strength of the king. Is he up to the task? He's concerned about the security of the kingdom. There were many enemies of the kingdom. And then finally, the succession of the king. Will this transfer of power go well? And how will the king and the kingdom do? Those were the things that were concerned or that David rather was concerned about. Now I want you to note them with me and we'll look at this in the text that we're reading chapter two, verses one through 10. First of all, we see that David was concerned with the strength of the king, the strength of the king. Now we see that David's strength was dissipating his Physical life was coming to an end. The Bible tells us that the outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. Those of you who've lived any length of time, you know that the body is breaking down. The things that you used to do, you cannot do. You don't possess the physical strength. The outward man is perishing. But the inward man that has the life of God is renewed day by day. And I want you to know, though David physically was dying, spiritually, he was being renewed. And he has on his heart and mind the future of the kingdom, and he's concerned about the strength of the king. So he charged Solomon, his son, in verse number 1, saying, I go the way of all the earth, be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God. This is much more than just some admonition to be a macho guy. This has to do with the spiritual condition and the character of the king. What is his message? His message is to keep the charge of the Lord embrace the responsibility that you have been given we live in a day when responsibility is something that many shirk and few embrace and god has charged us as his children as men and women as young people that we embrace the responsibility that has been given to us by the lord Solomon would be charged with the responsibility of leading the nation. I'm going to ask you a question. What responsibility has God charged you with? Husbands, love your wives. That's what the Bible says. That's a part of the responsibility. Uh, I think in this this world with cheap imitations, we know a lot about lust and very little about love, right? What kind of love does a husband have? or should a husband rather, possess for his wife, the kind of love that Christ has for his church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, in the days when I have not been faithful to God, he has always been faithful to me. In the days when I've been at my worst, Christ has been faithful to me. This is the type of love that we are to love our wives and families with as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, not pursuing his best interest, his own interest, but pursuing ours. That's a responsibility we have. Another responsibility we have is to provide for our families, to work and to provide for our families. Another responsibility we have is to teach our families the truths of God's word. That ought to be happening at home. It's not that we always set aside a classroom and and preach a 30-minute message every night. It means the way that we live and conduct our lives and the principles that drive us and the things that motivate us, how we spend our time and what words we allow to come out of our mouth. All of these things are done in light of our relationship with the Lord and our responsibility to convey the truth of how a believer ought to live his life, and we convey that to our children. That's our responsibility. Husbands have responsibilities. Wives and mothers have responsibilities. Young people have responsibilities. We are to embrace them. And in order for us to do it, we need God's strength. So David says to his son, be strong. Show thyself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord. Do what God has called you to do. Well, how do you do it? Well, we'll see it in verse 3. To walk in his ways, how am I going to receive the strength I need to be the king, to be the father, to be the husband, to be the wife, to be the mother, to, to be the grandparent, to be the Christian on the job? I must receive that strength the only way I can by walking in his ways to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies. Notice those words, his ways, his statutes. His commandments, his judgments, his testimonies. What is he speaking about there? He's talking about the Word of God. You see, I cannot have the strength to do what I need to do if I neglect the Word of God. I need the Bible, I need its truth. Jesus said, the words that I'm speaking to you, he said, they do not profit the flesh. He said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit, they are truth. He also said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word that God has spoken that he wants you and I to know, we have recorded for us in the pages of God's word. And this word we are to esteem more than our necessary food. The Bible teaches us that. We are living according to its truth and its precepts. It is the thing that imparts life to us for the word of God is quick. That means it is living, it is alive. Not only is it alive, but it is life-giving. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul of spirit and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God cuts to the chase in our lives. It peels back our excuses. It peels back our deceptions, and it penetrates the heart, and it ministers truth to us, to reveal to us our need for God and to impart to us as we respond to its truth, impart to us strength and and life, spiritual life. We need spiritual life we need to sustain ourselves. And if Solomon is going to be the king, and if you and I are going to serve the king in this hour in which we live, we cannot do it and neglect the word of God. If we only read the Bible on Sunday while the preacher's preaching or the teacher's teaching, we are not walking in the ways of the Lord. We are not keeping seriously the ways of the Lord because we must saturate our heart and life if we're going to keep the ways of the Lord. Now, I, I, I used to work for UPS, and, and um, in those days when I started, there was no Siri, there were no map apps on your phone. And uh, I would run a lot of different routes in the early days. Low man on the pole, you run the routes. So when somebody was on vacation, I had the route. And I would go into the package car And uh, I would look at the stops and try to figure out, you know, where in town I was going to be and how in the world I was going to get there. I had to purchase something that I kept with me every day. It was a map book. I had a map book. And uh, if I couldn't find a certain street, there was an index on the back. I could look up the streets alphabetically. It would tell me what page on the map it was. And just looking at the reference points and the streets that I knew, I could usually find my way around town. I had to look at that map book to run that route. I clung to that map book because I ran many routes, different routes, nearly every week, sometimes multiple routes uh, in a week. I was on a different route. So I had to have my map book, and I had to take heed. In other words, take heed according to thy way. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. I had to reference that map book to get from the one stop to the next stop. You see, we have a map book. Here it is. Amen. And we have a lot of destinations. We have a lot of responsibilities. We're, we're fathers and husbands and employees and employers and, and citizens and, and um, neighbors. We have a lot of responsibilities. A lot of things that we're, we need to do, that God has assigned us to do, but the strength and the direction that we need for life, well, we have to take care to keep our map book with us. We got we to refer to it on a daily basis. And so our relationship with the Word of God is vital. We are to walk in His ways. Notice what he says in verse 3, to keep His statutes, and his commandments, and his judgments, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. Not only are we to walk in it, to read it, to hear it, but we're to heed it. We're to direct our life according to it. You see, the battle for the Christian is in the mind and the way that we think, and oftentimes our thinking thinking is so contaminated by a couple of things. First of all, by our own fallen nature. The way we think isn't right. We won't think clearly and right until we get to heaven unless we have our mind renewed in the Word of God. You see, the Bible is the mind of God revealed to us. So as we spend time in the Word of God, God changes the way we think. But if we're not spending time in the Word of God, that fleshly thinking can take over. Then there's worldly thinking, which is contrary to God. And if we're not careful, we'll adapt fleshly thinking and worldly thinking and live our lives according to that and value our opinions and our thoughts above what the Bible teaches. And so here's what David is saying. Solomon, the greatest thing you need as the king is a knowledge of God's Word. And the greatest policy you'll ever have as a king is to obey the word of god so know god's word study god's word and live according to god's word then you'll govern according to god's word you know that uh, the scottish reformers changed the educational state of of the country of scotland john knox and the scottish reformers they 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 turned the educational system of scotland upside down And Scotland, which was one of the most illiterate nations in all of Europe, became the most literate. And do you know what they used to turn it around? The Bible. They made the Bible the primary textbook in the schools. And they taught children how to read the Bible and how to think. And and, and these children grew up and became the most educated people in all of Scotland. And they're responsible for the thinking that is behind our Constitution, one of the great documents that is written of men in the history of the world. You see, if we want to pass this on to the next generation, we've got to know the Word, we've got to obey the Word, and we've got to communicate the Word to the next generation. And so may God help us. Now, Solomon learned this lesson, but he learned it the hard way, didn't he? He had a good start, but the finish was rough. The Bible says Solomon loved many women. In fact, he had a thousand wives. Uh, Can you imagine how many times the Postal Service showed up to deliver those invitations? A thousand wives. And the Bible says those women, those wives, turned his heart away from from the Lord. In Ecclesiastes, you have a book that Solomon wrote in the late stages of his life. And he wrote it from the perspective of an old man filled with regret. And he's writing to young people. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Now, what he's done before he gets to this point is talked about all the things he did in his youth and all the pursuits that he had outside of the will of God. You read chapter 1 and and, 2, and you'll see what I'm talking about. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. I can hear him saying, I wish I had listened to my dad. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Well, how will we know that? We know it according to the word of God. Amen. So what is Solomon saying? The best thing you can do, the most important thing you can do is walk in God's truth. And so to do that, you have to submit yourself to God's truth. And you have to understand Uh, That you must submit your thinking, the thinking of the flesh, the thinking of the world, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind by the word of God. And that imparts strength. That's the path that Solomon needed to go down, walk in his ways. Then he says this at the close of verse 3, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. You see, God has a promise for us. If we'll obey him, if we'll walk in his word, we will experience the blessings of God in our lives. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it. To do what? To do according to the law, the word of God. This is what David is encouraging Solomon to do. Hear therefore, O Israel, to, and observe to do it, not just hear it, but do it, Here's the reason, that it may be well with thee. God wants it to go well for us. God is not trying to make us miserable with his commandments. The prohibitions that God has given to us are for our good. He's telling us, don't go into danger. Don't wreck and ruin your life. It would be good if we would hear his voice. It would be good if our young people would hear the voice of God and recognize that a God who loves them is trying to protect them and keep them from harm. It would be good for all of us if we knew that. Instead, we vilify God and vilify those who would seek to keep us uh, in the center of God's will as if they were against us for telling us the truth. He said, observe to do it that it may be well with thee. That's what God wants for you and that ye may increase mightily, Deuteronomy 6.3, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. There's a promise that if you and I will walk in the precepts and the truths of God, that God will prosper us. It doesn't mean that we'll live with all the financial wealth that we could possibly desire to accumulate. It means that we'll live with God's blessings. It means our conscience will be clear. It means that we'll have joy. It means that we'll have few regrets and live full of blessings. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 1? Well, he says this, "'Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful.'" but his delight is in the law of the Lord. You see, when you and I delight in God's word, we'll read it, we'll study it, and we'll obey it. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You mean you, I got to put down all the distractions that keep me from the truths of God's word and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You ever think things just don't work out? They're just not working out. Well, maybe it's because what we're trying to work out is not what God wants. But God said if we will follow him he will bless us. You see a man who is guided, listen now, a man who is guided by the word and walks in the word will enjoy prosperity and blessing. Amen. And so he says here in verse 4 that the Lord may continue his word which he spoke concerning me. This is David. Solomon, if you'll do right, you'll continue, as God said, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. In other words, the children of David will occupy the throne of David. The strength of the king. The strength comes from hearing and heeding God's word. The second thing that he's concerned about is the security of the kingdom. Now, I want you to read verses 5 through 9 with me. They're interesting verses, are they not? Moreover thou knowest also what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me and what he did to the two captains of the hosts of Israel unto Abner the son of Ner and unto Amasa the son of Jether whom he slew and shed the blood of war and peace but the blood of war was upon his girdle that was about his loins and his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom and let not his head go down to the grave in peace. Now look in verse 8. We'll come back to verse 7, verse 8. And behold, thou hast with thee Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Behuram, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to the Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now therefore hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man, and knowest, and knowest what thou oughtest do unto him. But his forehead bring thou down. To the grave with blood. A couple of things. That word whorehead. I used to hear people talk about whore frost They'd wake up in the morning and the frost, the ground would be white with frost. That's what that word means, that expression. Is, his whorehead, his whitehead. What does that mean? It means he's aged, he's lived long enough to age. Joab, because of God's mercy, had a long life. Shimei, because of God's mercy, had a long life. Those two guys had a long life and had plenty of opportunities to repent and they didn't do it. And now it's time for justice. It is appointed unto men once to die and after this, the judgment. Do you know there's very few things that are as unbecoming as watching a senior adult, an older person revile God and curse God's name the God who has given them long life, the God who has been merciful to them. And still they refuse to acknowledge him. Well, here are two characters that were going to receive the judgment that was coming to them. There were opportunities, as I said, for mercy, but they eschewed those, they rejected those, and now judgment is coming. By the way, this is not David being vengeful here. This is not like a mafia guy saying, you know, take care of my enemies. This is an act of justice. Solomon is the king. He is charged with the responsibility of taking care of the enemies of the kingdom. You see, in this, in these verses, you have friends and foes, two foes, Joab and Shimei, and then the friends, of course, are the family of Barzillai, the Gileadite. These guys were threats to the kingdom, Joab and Shimei. In fact, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse number 5, you see that the kingdom was under threat. David had a son whose name was Adonijah. He had the same mother as Absalom. And Adonijah, if you look at it in chapter 1, verse 5, then Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king you got to watch out for those guys, right? And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. The problem with Adonijah proclaiming himself to be king, number one, God did not proclaim him to be king. And number two, God had proclaimed someone else, that's Solomon, to be the king. God had already established that. So Adonijah is in rebellion. He's an enemy of the kingdom. Verse 6, here's another reason that he was a rebel. His father had not displeased him at any time and saying, why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man, and his mother bore him after Absalom. His father wouldn't, quite frankly, put any restraints on him. You know, I think we live in an age where parents are more concerned about what their kids think about them than what they think God thinks about. Do you you know that when, when when a young person is growing into adolescence and teen years, their brains are forming? Their thinking processes are developing? And it seems as if sometimes we put more stock into what they say than what God has said, what the God of the universe has said. This is the God of the universe speaking. And he's telling us how to teach our children. And yet we allow them oftentimes to dictate to us the terms of how they're being raised. May God help us. Adonijah is such a young man. His father had not displeased him. No restraints, no discipline. Do what you want to do. It's okay. And his father had not displeased him at any time and saying, what hast thou done so? And so what did he raise? He raised a rebel. In fact, David had raised quite a few of them. Verse 7 and he conferred with Joab the son of Zeru. There's that name again Joab. Guess who's on the rebel team? Joab. Who is David warning Solomon about? Joab. You see, Joab served David. At times very loyally, at times very deceptively. Who was Joab really serving? I want you to know Joab was serving Joab. That's who Joab was serving. There are people who who claim to serve God, but really they're serving self. And Joab is serving self. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with him Abiathar, the priest. And they, following Adonijah, helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan, the prophet, and Shimei, and Ray, and the mighty men which belonged to David, they were not without Adonijah. David knew something was wrong. The discerning men were not with Adonijah, but the rebellious men were with him. And then, of course, David, of course, didn't know this was going on in chapter one, but he was finally told. And when he was told to his credit, to his credit, he said, we're going to fix this situation. And Solomon was anointed to be king. So what is on David's mind? It's the security of the kingdom. There's two men that David should have taken care of in his life, Joab and Shimei. Joab had killed Amasa and he had killed Abner as if it was an act of war when it really wasn't. He was a murderer. He was a murderous man. And then Shimei, who was a Benjamite, who met David when he was fleeing from Absalom. And remember, he threw dirt up in the air and dirt on David, and he threw rocks at him, and he cursed him, and he said, hey, David, you're a bloody man, you're guilty, and you're getting what you deserve. And then after the Absalom of rebellion was, uh, the rebellion of Absalom, rather, after the rebellion of Absalom was put down, when David returns, Shimei comes out and pleads for mercy. And it was in that moment that David said, "I won't destroy you." But now as he thinks about the future of the kingdom, he says to Solomon, his son, these two guys are threats to the kingdom and they must be dealt with. And by the way, what do we learn from that? We learned that the threats to the kingdom in our lives must be dealt with. And the things that we do not deal with, our children will surely have to deal with later. So may God give us the grace and the fortitude to deal with them. There were friends as well. Verse 7, but show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table. You see, there's coming a day when the righteous will be rewarded and the wicked will receive retribution. That psalm that we read earlier, Psalm chapter 1, in verse number 4, the Bible says, "...the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous." In Matthew 7 and verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils. That's what Joab would have said. I was in the battle with you, David. I led the army. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. David, I mean, Joab, excuse me, Joab had the uniform, but he didn't have the heart. That's what distinguished Joab from David. David had a heart for God. Joab did. And so David is warning him to do what he failed to do. Bring these men to justice. Bring retribution to those who threaten the kingdom and reward those who are a part of the kingdom. Then thirdly, and we're closing here quickly, the succession of the king. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron and thirty and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. Then, when it's all over for David, then sat Solomon upon the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. The king, Solomon, had succeeded his father. The succession of the king, the kingdom continued. The kingdom was strong. This was the concern of a dying David, that he get the baton into the hand of his son. And may this be the concern of our generation. May we not simply be concerned with our comfort, with with our pleasure, with our investment portfolio, but may we be concerned with transferring this truth to the next generation that the Solomons that are sitting here in this congregation will get a hold of what has been given to you and I by faithful men and women who've made sure that we got it. Amen. My mother-in-law texted me last night to tell me that my preacher, my, as a child, the church I grew up in, is having some tests this week. I hope you'll pray for him, Pastor Charles Lawson. It's the church where my wife and I grew up. And I remember when I was going into the sixth grade in that church, a church where we were taught the truth of God's word. When I was going into the sixth grade, they decided to open a Christian school. I said, I don't want to do that. I got my friends, you know, and my mom said, you're going. And I went, and for five years I was in that school. After I finished my 10th grade year, our school closed. That was not a good thing for me, not for me personally. Now, God used it for good. God used it for good in my life, but it closed. But in those five years, now I want to tell you, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you had dealt with me during those five years, you're thinking, I don't know. I don't think this kid's getting it. I don't think he's getting it. And then even afterwards, I don't think he got it. But the seed that was sown in my heart eventually produced fruit. And I'm just going to tell you, the reason I'm here, of course, is by the grace of God today. But it's because of the love and the faithfulness of my preacher and his wife and the people of that church who poured themselves into me and invested me in me and didn't give up on me in the difficult days. And because of that, by God's grace, the baton is in my hand. And I can see... After 54 circuits, I can see the finish line. I hope I still got a ways to run, but I can see it. I can see it. And I want to tell you how I want to finish. I want to make sure that somebody grabs hold of this baton, has a firm grip. I want to tell them how to remain strong in the race. I want to talk to them about the security of the kingdom. And I want them to grab it and the succession to occur. That ought to be our desire as we serve our generation according to the will of God. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com.